weekend is here, and we're breaking down the teams that you're passionate about. Oh, really? This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. We are brought to you by our friends over at Mountainland Supply. They are the title sponsor of this fine program. appreciate them being a part of the community. They are where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agriculture irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at Mountainland Supply. We are broadcasting live today, JCW's in Provo, the Burger Boys. They do it right here. More, much more than just burgers, by the way, folks. So feel free to stop by if you're on your way down to the BYU game. We will have BYU pre- and post-game coverage for you guys coming up beginning at 12.30 this afternoon. We'll do the Saturday show until then. We'll carry you all the way up through that. Hans Olsen, who I literally just talked to just a couple seconds ago, will be joining us for that. But time to bring in another dear friend of ours, and that is the Brown Bear himself, Brian Brown, co-host of the Locked On Utes podcast, a former producer at the Zone Sports Network, and he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Best of State winner, Smart Rain has an incredible Black Friday offer. They've been running for; they will be running for the entire month of November. Smart Rain is giving free controllers along with free Apple iPads to commercial properties who sign up with a paid cellular or hosting subscription. Visit SmartRain.net or call eight seven seven three four six three 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 three. Brown Bear Brian, what's up, my friend? Am I going to get run if I talk about how good the salads at JCWs are? I already mentioned it today. You know me. I've been losing weight this year. They've been a huge part of my weight loss journey, I can tell you that much. Listen, it's you have to mix in the healthy every now and then. And look, I don't think anybody wants to look like me. Uh, if they do, uh, I would suggest we sit down and have a salad at JCWs to kind of maybe encourage them to go in a different direction. Um, but thank you guys for having me on today. It's exciting to talk about um, – the apocalypse because Utah defeated Sanford by like forty something points last night. Uh, yeah, so I, I I wanted to kind of get your kind of your overall takeaway from that, Brian, because I felt like this game was over after the first quarter. Am I am I wrong in that assessment? No, and it's kind of funny because I was sitting there watching the third quarter and I was like, why am I mad about this? This game has been <laughs> over hours. There's no, I mean, there's no real reason to be upset that Sanford scored a touchdown. Uh, but just the way the game had gone, it was, oh, there's so many adjectives I feel almost uh, don't, uh, like, I feel kind of guilty using to describe Sanford, but it was pathetic. Uh, you know, you're a college football team, you're a power five team, and I get that the run defense is not good, but to give up 441 yards on the ground to Utah, not to the Air Force Academy or one of the other service academies running an option team, uh, or an optional offense, but to Utah and to give up 300 yard rushers, like that's that's a personal pride thing. And I, I just I think part of what kind of irked me a little bit about it was Stanford came out and was super fired up and scored a touchdown, and then all of a sudden it was right back to where things were all along. So it was an interesting game for sure. But uh, you know, I think Utah fans for the most part uh, have to be excited about it. Well, sure, yeah. You mentioned the fact, 46 carries, 441 yards, uh, three players breaking the 100-yard barrier. Uh, T.J. Pledger setting a program record for the longest run uh, from scrimmage, the longest touchdown run from scrimmage, 96 yards. 
this was – and you and I had talked about this all week long, Brian. We felt like Utah was going to be able to go into that game, control the trenches, and just absolutely run over Stanford. I'm not necessarily thinking, though, that I would think that Stanford would just roll over. That, that's the thing, 441 yards. They simply rolled over and said, okay, go right on ahead. Yeah, and it's – I mean, that's the part about it that's so, I guess, confusing to me because this is a Stanford program that I think uh, – has has always been competitive in games at the very least, um, but at the same time, I think this was a game that Utah really feel felt uh, they wanted to go out and make a statement. And I don't know if it was the Friday night kick. I know that Kyle Whittingham doesn't uh, talk about that stuff publicly. I know that privately, everybody in the building and everybody in the staff wants to go out and play well when it's on prime time when it's the only game on. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think they've always had kind of. Um, because Utah and Stanford get compared so often in terms of style of play and everything like that, I think they've always had a little extra something every time they go up there uh, to the farm. But it was just – you have to kind of wonder where Stanford football is at after that kind of a game. And I'm not saying that David Shaw's going to get fired. I talked to uh, Jackson Moore, who who covers the Cardinal for 24-7 sports, and, and he said, you know, I think his seat's as cool as anybody's in the back 12 and I think he's not wrong. But I think the one thing that might get interesting is – does David Shaw start to look around a little bit because he feels like he's, you know, stagnated a little bit. I think the big thing, the, the big takeaway, two parts. One, you can see how much the change in the dating and the recruiting for Stanford has changed everything and how they're still adjusting to the new stuff. Um, you know, it, it's an academic and foremost. And because of that, for a long time, they couldn't get guys actually admitted into the school until January. And, I believe at one point in time it was a policy that you couldn't actually offer a recruit until they've been officially admitted. Um, and I think that stuff's now changed. But, two, I think what it really speaks to is how good a quarterback Tanner McKee is and how much he's done for that team that offense. Now the defense is just an absolute sieve. Uh, that's going to take a lot more to fix. Okay, so and that brings me to another point. So R.J. Abadia, a guy that I've gotten to know a little bit, uh, he used to cover Stanford for 24-7 sports. Uh, he's now doing other things. And then some other Stanford uh, people chimed in on my Twitter feed last night saying that what Stanford has found themselves in, I guess it's a personnel uh, situation. They called it a, a hole that they found. They said that it's years in the making. And you and I, we're more engrossed with the sports here in state. But this is a Stanford team seemingly, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Brian, annually it seems like they go out and get four-star talents from across the country due to their academic profile and just the overall stature of Stanford that you would think would be better football players. But that was about as uncompetitive a Stanford team as I have seen since before Jim Harbaugh took over that team. Yeah, and it's, I mean, it's twofold. One was the injuries for sure, I think, hurt them. Yes. But two, it just, like, RJ's not wrong, and, and he knows this saga because he covered recruiting, like you said, um, up there on the farm. I believe he's doing some work now with USC and Southern California and whatnot. But uh, this has been the problem with the early signing day for a program like Stanford. And, you know, they didn't take visits over the summer for the longest time, and they didn't, they didn't do things the way that everybody else did for the longest time, and I think it's hurt them. That For a very, very long time, they just relied on the fact that they were the Stanford brand and people would go there. And, and you could say it's hubris on the part of David Shaw. Um, I, I think to a degree, like, it, it's kind of warranted because we all talk about it. If you get an offer from, a Stan- from Stanford as a recruit, you should go. Like, there's just really not a whole lot of excuse. They put a ton of guys in the NFL – the school is terrific. You're going to graduate with that Sanford network. Um, you know, is, is, 
as deeply rooted as I am in, in the University of Utah and everything like that, I think at Stanford come calling, I would have gone. Uh, I was neither smart enough nor good enough to ever do that, so I never <laughs> had to deal with that. You um, and me both. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that we have a lot of company in that regard, Jake. Yeah. But, um, you know, this is – it is a weird situation. Um, but I think it's it, it's also kind of not that rare in the Pac-12 right now. I mean, of all the kind of uh, bottom-end schools, that I think the only one that's really stayed competitive-ish throughout it is Arizona and they probably have less reason than anybody else to stay competitive, right? Like they haven't even won a game, but maybe that's the reason why they're still in the fight. But some of these schools that are out of it right now just seem like they've gone on cruise control. It was a weird game too. I mean, that obviously the crowd was a thing and, and I don't really care about that. It's not my responsibility to make sure Stanford has a full stadium. Um, but like the, there was a whole situation with Makai Bernard, you know, blocking the guy out of bound, and, and it was kind of chippy and chirpy. And like I said, there was that weird stretch in the third quarter where all of a sudden it felt like maybe Stanford woke up, and then oh no, they didn't. So a, a, an interesting game for sure. But I think the overarching thing is that you know these are two programs that are going in completely different directions, and right now Utah's direction is is up. And it's been a pretty incredible run here, Brian, because you and I remember sitting at one and two the when Utah had lost back-to-back games to both BYU and San Diego State. This Utah team seemingly was a mess, and they have found their groove. They're five and one now in the conference. They're the odds-on favorite, if not, in my opinion, the lock to win the Pac-12 South. It would take just an absolutely monumental collapse here for them not to go to the Pac-12 title game. Is there anything beyond uh, the the insertion of Cam Rising as a quarterback, the turnaround along the offensive line that has keyed this turnaround in Pac-12 play to you? Uh, so, I mean, that's an interesting thing. And, and you and I have talked about this a ton. Like, I, I think they found a lot of purpose, you know, with with Aaron Lowe's passing and, and, and dealing with everything that, that was still left over from Ty Jordan. But I think from a football standpoint, you know, I, and I – Dropped this on Twitter last night. I, where where would this team be if they played ten games last year? Because you look at the defense, and and it's all freshmen. And, and there's a lot of freshmen that are playing and getting regular rotation for them, not just on defense but also offense and special teams. And I mean, it was interesting because at one point in time they had the twos in, and I was looking. I was like, wait a second, those are still the starting cornerbacks. And we don't really talk about the fact that Utah's down, you know, two of their starters. Uh, in, in the defensive backfield and have been for a good chunk of the year um, with J.T. Broughton and, and Malone Mattaele and, and that you've had to shuffle and, and start freshmen, you know, Fabian Marks and Zamaya Vaughn. Now, I think you guys probably played a little bit more zone and you've seen a couple blown coverages. The one against Oregon State really stands out and mm-hmm. I think that's, you know, growth and, and everything else and I know that Morgan Scally talked about wanting to get away from that and get back to their roots of playing more man defense, but um, it, it's just, it's such a, a wild kind of scenario to think about if, if all these, cause you're seeing guys like Van Fillinger and Xavier Carlton really start to step up and play well. You know, I thought Van played as good a game last night as I've seen him play all year. Um, and then his ability to anchor on the edge, you know, junior Tafuna, you and I have talked about him a lot. There are a lot of names that you can throw out there. And so that's one thing that goes through my mind as far as the turn turnaround goes. I mean, it's really hard to pinpoint anything that's not camp rising related. Yeah. 
you know, and it's like he just he invigorated everybody. And, uh, you know, I was talking to a, a friend of mine, Steve Bartle, about it. And, uh, you know, Steve covers University of Utah for Youth Zone and everything like that. And, and he said that as he talked to people, you know, when Rising took over, and this isn't a knock on, on Charlie Brewer or anything like that, he just said it felt like there was a different energy as people were talking about it. And I think some of that is just camp. You know, Charlie was a little bit reserved, a little more quiet, and then not, you know, just a different kind of a leader, right? And I think Charlie was sure. coming into a very foreign situation. And Cam had been there for three years, you know, and everybody loves Cam. He is, you know, he's kind of like the Spicoli of the football team in a degree, you know? He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he's just kind of there and having fun and enjoying it. And, like, I don't know if you saw it on the sideline last night, but there's a point where, Witt was talking to he and I, I think it was Bryson Barnes, and they were kind of just chit-chatting about something that Jaquindon Jackson had done when he was in. And you could see just by the way that Witt interacts with him that even Witt kind of feels comfortable around him. And, and that those kind of people are important to any kind of organization, right? Like it doesn't matter what industry you're in or football or whatever. Everybody wants to have someone on their team that, you know, that they feel confident in and, and that that lifts everybody up. And I think that's really what the, the you know, the bad moon rising uh, thing is, is that it, he's lifted this team and, and, you know, uh, by his play partially. And, and last night wasn't it, um, you know, and I'm really rambling on this answer. Maybe Tavion Thomas too would be another thing you could point at, but uh, I think rising has really just lifted everything up and, you know, just uh, across the board on and off the field. Okay. And, See, that's an interesting point there is that there are a lot of different factors at play in this, but I, I think the one thing, and I mentioned this earlier on in today's show, is that I feel like a guy like Cam Rising, he had a very pedestrian night last night, 140 yards passing, 13 of 22, but I think he was probably as hyped for that win, the fact that Utah was able to do what they did on the ground game, as he was if he were to go for, let's say, he threw for 441 yards and five touchdowns. I, I think he is the type of guy who's adaptable. All he really cares about is, as he says, playing with swagger and getting W's. He's genuine and authentic, you know, and, and it, it, that, that's a vibe that he's always had since he set foot on campus, and I think some of it is just when he left Texas, and, and he and Quinton Jackson have both echoed this. You know, I think Cam's been a little bit less vocal. Uh, Quinton's talked about it a lot more. It was so much more about uh, politics and everything else, and, and it's just um, when those guys come to Utah, the the atmosphere, the culture there, it, you know, family is the word that everybody uses to describe it, but it's close-knit. And, and people are accepting of, of guys there. And they are really, really diverse um, uh, on that team, which is, is unique. You know, I, I think the, the school has done a good job of promoting that they're one of the most diverse teams in the country in terms of it's not just, you know, uh, you know, backgrounds and things like that but where they come from like you have jordan noise who comes from uh you know joey old england and then you've got yasmin and and peasley and and all the aussies and and um you know you've got a a walk-on from japan it's a really unique roster and then you throw that in you know you've got Brittany covey who you know he's not that unique when you look at him but he's a pretty unique individual um, and his background, you know, serving a mission in Argentina and everything like that, it's, well, it's a very... Well, AARP at this point, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I do like that he's now uh, made it a point of emphasis to get his uh, crunches in in every post-game celebration <laughs> as well. Yes. Um, but they're a unique team, you know, and, and I think that 
that has done a good job of, of making guys who maybe haven't felt welcome elsewhere feel at home. Um, I think the real question with that is, and, and, and you could probably answer this as well as anyone, is how much has all this, you know, um, injection of life really done to, to level them up to a point to where they can actually win the Pac-12 championship. And I think now is the time to start questioning whether that's a reality or not, right? We're, we're kind of in that stretch run. Well, we're going to get a preview of that, I feel like. I feel like it's Oregon and Utah. I think that they are the odds-on favorites to play there in Las Vegas for the Pac-12 title game. And funny enough, we're going to get a matchup of those two here in the regular season. And I think it's going to give us a real good look at where Utah is. Because, yes, it was an uncompetitive game against Stanford, and they have games against Arizona and Colorado remaining. And those could uh, have Utah thinking pretty highly of themselves, speaking of guys inside the program. But I think that Oregon matchup, that's the one that we all have circled. We're looking at and saying, okay, we'll see how Utah looks against the number four team in the country as it stands currently. And that'll be, I think, a real indicator of how much progress this program has made. It will be, and I think, you know, I'm curious what Oregon is thinking now having watched that game last night, right? Like, this is a Stanford team that did them uh, did them up earlier in the year. Now you're looking at Utah, and, and they're just running roughshod. And Utah has found their groove without a doubt. They need to carry that over in the next week against Arizona. And I think they need to have a really focused – performance that little third quarter lapse against Stanford and I'm not saying they need to blow the doors off of Arizona but they need to be focused and they need to um really execute but um you know that's it's it's kind of almost a little disappointing in some respects because we're going to get a preview of what should be the Pac-12 championship game uh in two weeks and and then you'll just face each other again in what two weeks or three weeks Uh after that you know so it's just like "Eh." Do I love that? Maybe not so much. Um, but at the same time, like all eyes will be on the Pac-12 conference for that game. All eyes will be on Rice Eccles. It's really important because uh, Oregon is, is ranked now in the college football playoff. And so as long as they take care of business today, which, you know, you, you always kind of have to wonder with Oregon Washington, but they should. Um, it, I just – the next two weeks are going to be probably the most intense, you know, of the season until the next two, which is, <laughs> it sounds almost kind of redundant and dumb to say it like that, you know, but um, that's really how this season is, has rolled out. Well, hopefully it's a November and December to remember for Utah, Brian. I think that's what we're going for here. I would be more than happy if they ended up buying jewelry because of it, Jake. I think uh, <laughs> that's the kind of uh, celebration that we can all get on board with. All uh, right. All right. Well, Brian, thanks for carving out some time for us here. I will talk to you again soon. All right. Love it, my man. I appreciate being on the show with you guys, and good luck. Miss you guys tons, as always. All right. There you go. Brian Brown, Brown Bear himself. You can follow him at Brown Bear SLC on Twitter. Does a great job covering all things Utah. As I mentioned, the co-host of the Locked on Utes podcast, a daily conversation on Utah athletics, football, basketball, and everything in between. You can check that out wherever you get your podcasts. All right. Coming up next, it is time for five minutes of Saki and a whole lot more. We actually have the list of BYU players who will be honored on Senior Day today. We'll dig into that as well. It's all coming up next right here on the Saturday Show. It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait. Can't, 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 can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network.
wired me awake and hit me with the hand of broken nails. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. We are brought to you by Mountainland Supply. They are the presenting sponsor of this program. I'm Jay Catch. We are live this morning at JCW's in Provo. It's actually nearing the noon hour. number of BYU fans starting to filter in as they get ready for BYU and Idaho State on Senior Day. A reminder that the Cougar pregame show coming your way at 12.30. Hans Olsen and myself will get you ready for Senior Day for the BYU football program. But it is time for five minutes of here on the program where we talk about some of the other topics we haven't had a chance to touch on. And one of the staples of it is Saki. Hit it, Eric. Now McDavid swoops in. What a move. Out in front. Nobody home. And back up Zach Hyman. Puliarvi. McDavid. What a goal. It's overrun. Turned over quickly. Sula intercepted. Muller is fed. Lewandowski. The world's deadliest hitman. Lewandowski. Robert Lewandowski. Do not give him chances like that. Because he will bury them. Now walking the line, Chalaski. Jonas Donskoy. Chalaski again. This way, McCann, a shot, he scores! Short side, Stinger, Jared McCann, power play goal, the cracking of Titan. Krylock, Krylock over the top for Anderson Julio. Anderson Julio, oh, good touch to separate from the defenders. What a goal, what a tremendous, tremendous strike, Anderson Julio! 90 plus five, phenomenal go-ahead goal! Again. Bit of space here for Messi, and Hakimi is wide of him. Mbappe is inside of him. Messi sitting there, bit of space. He's seen him. Time for Saki, where we combine soccer and hockey and talk about some storylines in both sports here. And Eric, you are now going to be our hockey correspondent with Lundy out of the picture. And let's talk about what I think might be one of the greatest single goals I've ever seen in hockey last night. Connor McDavid, you heard a highlight from him earlier on in that montage there. Is he the best player in the sport right now, Eric? Yeah, there's really no doubt about it. Um... Everyone else kind of ebbs and flows. Nathan McKinnon this year, he has a claim to that title, but hasn't been playing at the level McDavid is currently at right now. And even when he's not um, scoring, he's providing so much as a passer and and provide, setting up assists and doing things with moving the puck. And he's just all around the best hockey player in the league. And it's it's not particularly close there aren't many that challenge him just because of the tremendous consistency he provides yeah obviously the Edmonton Oilers off to a flying start currently they are atop the Pacific Division with a 9-1 record Uh, it's just incredible got 18 points on the season 
many of you who are longtime listeners to the Saturday show know that I am a aficionado of the Seattle Kraken. I latched on with the debutante this year. And lucky for me, Eric, they're currently not the worst team in the Pacific Division, so I can feel a little bit better about that. Yeah, no, they've, they're on and off. Some nights they have really good performances, and some nights they have really bad performances. They're kind of back and forth. They took care of business against a bad Sabres team on Thursday. That That's good for them. Uh, you know, I, I think that the Kraken are doing what you would expect a normal franchise expansion team to do. Not everyone can be the Vegas Golden Knights. And then you have games like Monday where they got smacked by the Oilers 5-2. It's just up and down with the Seattle Kraken. And, you know, they've got some... Uh, some bigger games coming up this next week. They play the Arizona Coyotes, who are winless. They should win that game um, today. And then uh, later on this week, they have some other games as well, including against the Vegas Golden Knights. Again, a rematch of night one. Vegas is really hurt right now. The Pacific is, by and large, the worst division in hockey outside of the Edmonton Oilers, who have dominated it. So... Lucky for you, it is wide, wide open, and the Kraken, you know, it's too early to look at the standings, Jake. I, sure. I get my hockey fandom from my father, whose rule of thumb is, he's, he, tell, he always tells me, Eric, you shouldn't even look at the standings until Thanksgiving. Okay. So, nothing really matters yet, everybody's still in it, nobody's out of it. Because two years ago, the St. Louis Blues, I don't know if you know this, were one of were the worst team in the NHL, and they turned it around in December yeah. and ended up winning the Stanley Cup. Worst to first, literally. So, so much can change so quickly in hockey. It's easy to go on a run and get ten points and put yourself back in it. So I'm not really worried about any team in the National Hockey League right now. Of course, you know the teams, but probably aren't going to make it, and that's probably a team like Montreal and a team. But everyone else and a team like Arizona. But uh, outside of the Blackhawks, the Coyotes, and the Montreal Canadiens, everyone's still got a shot at the playoffs, and everybody's still competitive. It's too early to look at the standings. I like to look first around Halloween, but it really is too early to look at the standings until Thanksgiving, and I would argue even like the first few weeks of, of Advent in, in December. I just... Fair enough. I, I don't... I really am... am of the mind that standings don't matter until they get at least 20 to 30 games deep. Okay. Well, yeah, we'll see. Uh, one quick note before we move on to some soccer talk. Uh, how big is the Jack Eichel uh, acquisition for Vegas? It's huge. Okay. Uh, they're really injured right now. Mark Stone's going to be out for a little while, as is Max Pacioretty. What Vegas has to do is just tread water in a very mediocre division. Uh, but once they get that him back what the vegas golden knights have been lacking their entire franchise history is a number one do-it-all nhl center and that is what jack eichel is uh they when he comes back if he plays the way he did in buffalo they have potential to be the best line in hockey uh between him mark stone and match patch and you can go a long way in the nfl if you have a very dominant line like that vegas the way they've built has been smart 
they don't value draft picks the way other NFL team, NHL teams do. Pardon me. They sort of remind me of the Los Angeles Rams in that re- re- respect. They just have gone out. They've traded for the players they want. They are going to sign Jack Eichel to a longer-term deal. They're going to sign all these guys, and they'll just kind of work with a limited salary cap to fill in their, their depth players uh, as as they go along. But if Robin Lehner can stay healthy and that first line gets back healthy sometime probably in February and they can just remain on the playoff bubble for most of the year, there's no doubt in my mind they'll make the playoffs and they should be fully healthy for the playoffs and that's a dangerous team. I guess we'll wait and see. Uh, obviously, you said you can take some time here for them to kind of get back to operating but yeah it seemed like a pretty big pickup for vegas there all right on the soccer front eric uh it is decision day in major league soccer tomorrow all teams in action and real salt lakes uh near-term future in terms of playing in the playoffs will be determined tomorrow afternoon they are headed to kansas city to take on sporting kansas city and the way i understand it is rsl needs at minimum a win over skc there uh, in Kansas City, Missouri, but then also probably need some help to make the playoff field. But first things first, you got to take care of business. And the problem is they've had opportunities where if they won, they were in to the playoffs and they have fallen short. So I've got major, major concerns about RSL. Uh, you harbor those same concerns, Eric. Yeah, it seems like they're entirely inconsistent. Yeah. That, that, I know that, that. I saw from Andy Larson about a week ago that they put up one of the worst defensive performances RSL has put up in a long time, about a week ago. Uh, it seems like they're entirely up and down. I don't think Pablo Mastroni is going to be the guy for the job long term. Even if they make the playoffs, I think they should look elsewhere. But again, we've talked about how hard that's going to be without a clear owner involved for RSL. Sporting is not immune to um, losses, though. Yes, they've been very hot over September. September, they ran through their schedule. But actually, in October, things have slowed down for them a little bit. After a 2 nothing win at the Los Angeles Galaxy, they've lost 2-1 to the Minnesota United Loons and 3-1 to expansion team Austin FC. Now, they yeah. were resting players in that game. But you would imagine that Sporting's got a lot to play for as well. They want to be the number one seed in the MLS playoffs for the Western Conference and they have the tiebreaker over the Seattle Sounders so if they can win here today that pretty much locks up a number one seed for them tomorrow pardon me not today Uh, but yeah sporting is a a really interesting team the whole Western Conference has always really interests me a team that I have long disrespected on this program that I just need to put some respect on their name because I've been watching the highlights of them recently I think the Colorado Rapids are going to make a real push. They are a very talented team, and I could see them making some noise in the playoffs. But uh, it's almost playoff season for the MLS, and although I don't necess- I, I usually fall out of watching yeah. the MLS after about once football kicks off, it is always a very entertaining playoffs, and they usually don't match it up against football, so you can kind of watch on, on off nights. So I'll be interested to see how, how that goes. Um, the New England Revolution, congrats to them. They have won the Supporters' Shield, the best team in MLS. 
Yeah, they've been very, very good. There's no doubt about that. All right, um, Eric, and then one quick note before we go. We talked about Senior Day for BYU. We do have the list of players who will be honored on Senior Day today. Three of them officially seniors, Jared Capisi, Uriah Leitawa, and Samson Nakua, all of them out of eligibility, so they are the only seniors technically on BYU's roster. But as they note, there will be 11 other players who will be honored on Senior Day at BYU today that they're either in their fourth or fifth year playing college football. And those names include BYU leading rusher Tyler Algier, his backup Lopini Katoa, also defensive back Matthew Criddle, offensive lineman JT Gentry, starting center James Empey, linebacker Drew Jensen, starting wide receivers Neil Pau'u and Gunnar Romney, defensive lineman Earl Tuioti Mariner, Offensive lineman Joe Tukuafu and reserve defensive back Jason Money. So a lot of big names in that group. But those 11 names amongst those I just mentioned, they all do have the option of coming back to play once again next year if they so desire due to COVID, uh, the COVID years, freezing eligibility. Uh, Any of those names surprise you, Eric? No, everyone uh, that you kind of teased earlier in the show kind of fell onto that list. So I would say I am... Uh, unsurprised by that list. Yeah, Algier's the one I think most people probably maybe mildly surprised at. He has been very good this year, let's be clear about that. I think he should go and pursue his professional opportunities, but he is technically only a redshirt sophomore. He technically could play two more years for BYU if he wanted to. So crazy times with COVID, no doubt about it. And you're going to hear from Uriah Leotawa as well as Samson Nakua as we get you ready for the Cougar pregame show here in just a little bit. But coming up next, we will make our picks. Eric and I are going toe-to-toe across college football and NFL, making our weekly picks. That's next right here on the Saturday Show. Whether you're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store, We've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday Show here on the Zone Sports Network. We are brought to you by our friends over at Mountainland Supply. Absolutely love them being the presenting sponsor of this fine show. I want to encourage you guys to check out your find. Well, actually, not check out. Find out. Find your closest Mountainland Supply by going to mountainland.com. They do a fantastic job, and uh, it's great to have them on board with us here on the Saturday Show. Jay Catch, Eric Jensen along for the ride as it gets you ready for BYU pregame coverage starting at 1230 here on the Zone Sports Network. I am broadcasting live in Provo in advance of the BYU pregame show. We are at live at JCW's. Appreciate them having us down here. It's our home away from home for the BYU pre- and post-game shows. And a lot of BYU fans, a lot of BYU blue Walking through the doors right now is senior day out at Lavelle Edwards Stadium as BYU takes on Idaho State. So if you're looking for a place to get a delicious pregame meal, we'd encourage you guys to stop by JCW's here and love to see you guys. We do still have plenty of jazz gear to give away, some hats, T-shirts. If you want to get some of that gear, feel free to stop by as well. All right, time now. We're going to do a little bit of extended Saturday shows to get you ready for that pregame coverage. So we'll have one more segment after this. But time for one of our other weekly staples here. And, Eric, let's make some picks on both the college and fo- college football and NFL realm. Where do you want to start? You want to start with the college ranks or the pro ranks? Let's go college first. All right, let's go college first here. We're going to start off with a game that will be coming up here shortly. And it's actually the only game that, as far as I am aware, features uh, two teams that will be uh, 
the, excuse me, the only two top 25 teams facing off against one another. And that is, oh, if I can get it to actually pull up here suddenly, my computer decided it wanted to burp and decided it wanted to dump that. All right, let's check it out here. So we got uh, number 13, Auburn, and number 14, Texas A&M at Kyle Field in College Station, Texas. Where are you going on this one, Eric? Ooh, I'll go Texas A&M. I think that they, okay. yeah, I think they've played really well over the past uh, month. I think their their defense is extremely strong right now, and uh, I just don't trust Bo Nix. You don't trust Bo Nix, okay? Because he's he's off to a pretty good start this year. One thousand seven hundred sixty-four yards and nine touchdowns. Um, I'm actually going with the Auburn Tigers taking the win on the road. They're both six and two, uh, but I will take the Tigers. So we'll split that game there. Eric, now I wanted to talk about a game in the Big 12. We got number 11, Oklahoma State, 7 and 1, one of the top teams in the Big 12, going to West Virginia. So they're in Morgantown, West Virginia. West Virginia upset a ranked Iowa State team last week. They sit at 4 and 4. Where are you going on this one? Yo, I'll go Oklahoma State. I think they've got a really solid defense this year, and I think that's enough to shut down a West Virginia team that's been pretty inconsistent all year. I was going to say, you're right. The, the Pokes defense, kind of the antithesis of what Mike Gundy has had in previous iterations of his teams there in Stillwater. I'm with you. I'm taking the Pokes to win that one there. All right, coming up a little later on this evening, uh, this game traditionally has always been kind of a heavyweight matchup, but we do have 4-4 four and four LSU headed to Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, Alabama to take on the second-ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, are you going to take an upset here, Eric? I wonder what Vegas has to say about this, um, just out of curiosity. Do, do you want that number? I can give yeah, it to I want that here. number. Alabama minus 28 and a half. So I think that there's a chance that the Tigers come out uh, invigorated for Coach O and want to, like, send him off. You know, this is a big game for him being an L- He's You know, he's as LSU as they get, and this is a sure. huge rivalry. I honestly think I'd take... LSU and the points if we were in Vegas, but uh, obviously I, I can't pick against Alabama here. They're just the better team. So you, so you take them to cover. So go Tigers is what you're saying in terms of the spread there. I, I, I would be with you. I would be actually be, I'm maybe picking Alabama as well. Uh, two more ranked matchups I want to touch on, then we'll get to some Pac-12 ones here. Uh, I want your thought here. Number four, Oregon. A little bit of a surprise to be ranked fourth in those college football playoff rankings. They are 7-1, and one, top dog in the Pac-12 currently. He's in the Pac-12 North. They're headed to Seattle to take on the Washington Huskies, who sit at 4-4. Four and four. What, Where are you going on this one? Uh, as a wise man once told me, the Pac-12 is stupid. It's just, it's just <laughs> stupid. Stupid things happen every single week. Uh, I know it may sound crazy to say. I know Washington's bad, but like, it just won't shock me if they go and and win against Oregon. So I'm gonna take the upset because the Pac-12 can be stupid, and this feels like a game where Oregon really blows it and ends up. This is the end of the Pac-12s. You want to talk about, tonight. Yeah, you you want to talk about a weird line because you, you so you're taking the dogs here. So Oregon seven and one, they're only a seven point favorite on the road. Yeah, they should, should be. I mean, they they, they, no, but they have been a, not. I think Oregon is one of the most vastly overrated teams in the country. Ooh, 
Okay. All right. All right, and then one last one here uh, just because I'm weird like this. Number 24, San Diego State suffered their last, their first loss, excuse me, last week to Fresno State. They make the trip across the Pacific to Hawaii, who sits at five and uh, four and five on the season. They're playing in Honolulu. Will San Diego State drop a second straight game, Eric? Ooh, I don't think so. I think Hawaii's pass defense is really, really bad, and uh, I think that San Diego State can can get it done. All right, and then I have got, uh, so in the Pac-12, we've got uh, three games to pick here. Eric, I'm going to make you pick them, all of them. Let's start off with this, Oregon State, Colorado. I'm going to go with the Beavers myself. I'm picking San Diego State. I probably should tell you, I take San Diego State to go to Hawaii and win. I'm taking Oregon State over Colorado. What do you think? Yeah, you know, I'll go Oregon State as well. They're a much improved program this year, a very good offense. The defense is kind of rounding in into shape and Colorado you know they've had, they've been better in past weeks uh, but they're still not a great program and I think that uh, Oregon State wins all right late night game USC at Arizona State where are you going on this one I don't know what to make of either of these teams anymore to be completely honest with you I think ASU after the Utah loss just looked deflated in their next weeks and I feel like USC is a total crapshoot whether you get a team that comes out and tries every week or not uh, I'm gonna let you pick first here and I might just copy your pick because I have absolutely no freaking clue on this one. I really do think it matters if Jackson Dart play, uh, plays for USC or not I'm actually gonna take Arizona State at home but it very very close yeah, I'll probably go Arizona State as well. They've got the better quarterback, so default to that. And the game, also in the Pac-12, I'm calling it our Sickos game of the week. We got Cal at 3-5 and five at 0-8 Arizona in Tucson. This game coming up at 1 o'clock Mountain Time on the Pac-12 Network. Does Arizona get off the schneid after 20 straight losses, Eric? No, Arizona is barely a Power 5 team. <laughs> barely. Uh, Cal is dealing with some uh, player attrition, uh, player personnel issues after guys apparently have come down with COVID or tested positive for the virus. I do wonder how that affects them. I am going to go against my better judgment and think that Arizona finally gets their first win of the season. Yeah, I take that back. I can't say that the Pac-12 is stupid and then not (laughs) take Arizona here, so I'll take Arizona. But you can't take my pick now, Eric. I'm making. I'm. St- you're sticking with Cal. Fine. You're. You're sticking with the Bears. All right. Let's flip over to the NFL here for a moment. Here, right. uh, a few games I want to touch on here. Uh, first one, 11 a.m. tomorrow. Browns at Bengals. The battle for Ohio. Where are you going? Tumultuous week for the Browns, letting Odell Beckham Jr. go. But that offense has looked better without Odell. To be completely honest with you. I think the Bengals are a good team that ran into a weird Jets team. I think their defense is a little bit overrated. This is a really good game. I think it's going to be super close, but I just trust Kevin Stefanski. I trust Kevin Stefanski more than I trust Zach Taylor, and even though it has been a bit of a disappointing start for the Browns, I feel like they can make a statement here and win a tight kind of close slug matchup. Uh, with the Bengals. I think I'll take the Browns. All right. I am going to go with the Bengals here. I'm a big believer in Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase. I don't know what it is, but they've got something going there. And they did lose to a really, really weird the way they lost. These games are always good. It it feels like every time those two teams plays, it's always high scoring. So I feel like it'll be a good game. No doubt about that. All right. Another game here. Uh, Let's talk about 
the Chargers, not the Chargers, Eagles, not, 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 Packers at Chiefs. I was looking at the wrong one. Packers at Chiefs. You all know about the Aaron Rodgers situation. He will not play in this one. They are playing it at Arrowhead Stadium. Where are you going? You know, I'm going to surprise. I'm going to take the Packers. I just don't okay. think the Chiefs are that good. I think that they have real issues with their depth and the way their offense is being called right now. I think it's stale and I don't think it's working and they don't seem to make adjustments every week. And I think we've seen enough of the Chiefs to say that they're just an average middle of the pack team. And I think Jordan Love is going to get Devontae Adams and Alan Lazard back. And Jordan Love, if you watch what he did in week one and in the preseason, he's got a little like early career Josh Allen to him where some of the throws are really bad and some of the throws are just awesome. So I, I, I think that two things happen here. Either the Ch- Packers get blown out or the Packers win, and I think they'll end up winning it just because I don't trust the Chiefs to blow anyone out right now. I think there's a lot of turmoil with the Packers. I'm going to take the Chiefs kind of opposite of you. I just think the Chiefs at home are going to uh, get things reinvigorated a little bit. We'll see. I, I do think that they are not as good as they have been in past seasons. I completely agree with you. And then quickly here, a Sunday night football matchup, the Tennessee Titans at the Los Angeles Rams, 6-2 and two versus 7-1. and one. Where are you going? Ooh, this one's tough. No Derrick Henry for the Titans. Yep. That's a big, big deal. But... I do feel like we Matthew Stafford's hype right now is being a little overblown. It's just so easy for him right now because of how good Sean McVay's offense is. Uh, I think this is going to be a really close game. I think both teams are going to play well, but I think the Rams just added Von Miller, and I'm interested to see how that defense looks. I know it's just week one. But at some point, you just have too much to deal with with Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald, and Von Miller up front. So I think I'll take the Rams here. Uh, I'm going with the Rams as well. I just I don't think the Tennessee's going to be what they are, even with a guy like Adrian Peterson in the backfield. Derrick Henry is so good, and he's so critical to their success. All right, so there you go. There are our picks coming up next. We'll continue to get you ready for BYU pregame coverage. You're going to hear from two of the seniors who will be honored today, Uriah Leatawa as well as Samson Nakua. That's all coming up next right here on the Saturday show. 875-1280 the zone and the zone sports network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. A little extended edition today is to get you ready for BYU pregame coverage coming up at 1230 here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM. And thank you to our title sponsor here on the Saturday show is Mountainland Supply, where the pros go. Find your closest Mountainland Supply at mountainland.com. they got things such as plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. As I mentioned, mountainland.com is your stop to find a location near you. They've got them all over Utah and even out into places such as Wyoming. They, they got it covered for you. There's no doubt about that. All right, a little extended coverage here on the Saturday show, and we're going to let you hear from two of BYU seniors who will be honored on Senior Day today as they take on Idaho State. I'm uh, going to start off with Uriah Leatawa, a guy from Compton, California, had a very highly uh, publicized recruiting battle between Stanford and BYU for him to sign. Has spent a long time at BYU dealing with numerous injuries, but finally enjoying a pretty healthy senior season. Has been a big part of BYU's defensive line. Let you hear you ne- let you hear now from BYU senior defensive lineman Uriah Leatawa. 
Well, but let's go back to Saturday for a second. How big was that fumble? Take me through that play because you were out on the edge and came in to, to help make the hit, knock the ball ball free and, and roll on top of it. What was that like for you? Oh, it's crazy. Um, thanks, Drop 8. <laughs> That's funny because we were running a lot of uh, man the first half. And so halftime adjustments, we were deciding to Drop 8. And I was one of the only defensive linemen that knew the drop. So I was out there on the wide receiver on the far end. <laughs> and uh, it was funny because like a play earlier, I was doing the exact same thing and I didn't trigger when I was supposed to. So when I came off to the sideline, they're like, hey, you need to respond faster to the run. So the very next play in that one, um, I saw the run and I declared and I was just like, F it. I'm going to just run hella fast at him. And so like somebody grabbed him by the legs and I was like, Yep, I'm gonna take my shot. <laughs> so I just took it. <laughs> oh, did I say something bad? Oh, no, I didn't say nothing bad. <laughs> I, I didn't, yeah, so that, that's pretty much what happened. And um, yeah, I didn't really notice the ball went out until like it hit my back. And I think it was a really cool moment. Yeah, especially with uh, everything. I thought it was a really great moment and I felt like the defense responded drew came in with a clutch um <clears throat> a clutch interception the next series and um, the rest of the defensive line just responded and relished the role of three-man rushing and we got pressure when we needed it so yeah You were forceful last week talking about that Lopa just about the the scheme and and you know kind of giving your opinion on that. Is it kind of rewarding to see the team, hey, we got to go drop eight, and then it worked as well as it did for you guys to be able to hold them to seven in that second half? Um, yeah, I think uh, I think scheme was great. I just think, I'll be real with you, I think the players needed to execute a little bit better, uh, myself included, especially in the first half. Um, I don't blame the coaches on anything. I think that... Um, uh, at some point, we need to take it upon ourselves to make those critical plays when it's 1v1, uh, when it's just us versus the quarterback. We need to make sure we wrap him up when we have him. Um, yeah, but it, it was good to see that. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was fun to see that uh, the, the drop eight was actually working in the second half. Not working, but like it always works. But the, the fans can see the difference between it because, you know, they had something to compare it to. <laughs> All right, we'll uh, have a question now from Mitch and then Jay. Opa, you were able to, to take advantage of that um, free year of eligibility last year uh, coming back from, from the injury. Has this season been everything you hoped for? Um, yeah, I don't regret coming back. I loved it. Um, There's another opportunity, another year to play. Um, something I met some cool people. Uh, I met a lot of uh, new faces and stuff like that. It's just, it's it's been amazing for me. And I love the fact that I came back and um, I'm going to miss it for sure. It's going to be dope. What do you feel will be the, the maybe legacy hope for this uh, senior class? Because there's been some highs and lows, uh, you know, in this in this time and during your, your time here at BYU. What do you hope is maybe some of the lasting impact? Um, the lasting impact is that we set not just a trend, but like a culture, like you said, Mitch, we've had a lot of ups and downs and, um, those that have been here for a long time, remember those really low downs and, um, it's been a blessing for me for, especially having a long career here, uh, seeing how much 
the team culture has changed, especially with Kalani at the helm. Uh, I remember when Kalani first came in as a brand new coach, he was like, just not winging it, but like you can tell he was making different adjustments every year. And I feel like he's caught his stride in the past few years. And I just hope that it builds on for the next coming years and it just leaves a legacy. I really do hope that BYU just continues this success because I feel like, you know, I've played a part in that and I just want the freshmen that come in to, to make sure that they understand that this is a, this is a place where like we want to be successful and stuff like that. That's something that I wish um, our legacy, especially the guys that are leaving this year would leave <clears throat> because I feel like after this year and next year, a lot of the guys that experienced those downs are gone. So when, um, you know, like it's, it's like in the Book of Mormon, you know, like when you only know good times, you don't understand how hard it is. And so like, I feel like um, that doesn't change. I hope because we're getting a lot of good recruits and stuff. We're going to get a lot of guys that don't know BYU when they're down. And I hope that they understand that um, when they come here, it's, to work you know it's to build upon this legacy that i hope that we we cultivated as a team especially as players and that's something i really hope stays with byu it just looks like we just have time for one more question go ahead jay yeah lopa my question is kind of along that same lines this is going to be probably the smallest senior day <laughs> if uh, if the roster holds there's only three seniors on the roster but just what are your emotions like going into your final game at, at Lavelle Edwards Stadium? How will you? Uh, I don't know. You know, I I was really emotional last year when I thought it was going to be my last year. Um, I was emotional when I saw my actual class leaving and walking down the field. <clears throat> but it's like against San Diego State when I remember watching Kyrus and Zach Daw and, and Bracken all walking down and Isaiah Kafusi, I just, I don't know, I, I kind of like broke down a little bit on the inside, but like this year it just feels more like satisfying than it does sad. I feel um, grateful and everything, but I'm not really sure. I'm, I'm trying to like bottle, not bottle it all in, but I'm trying to take it all in, if that makes sense. There you go, Sam, uh, not Sam Seneca. We're going to hear some Sam Seneca momentarily. Uriah or Lopalea Tau, as you heard him referred to, a guy that has put a lot of time into his uh, days at BYU. But now it's just to hear from a guy who's only spent one year at BYU but is very, very grateful for his experience so far, and that is Samson Nakua. You had one season in this program. Obviously, you've still got three games to go beyond this, but how does it feel coming up on senior day for yourself? Man, um, everyone keeps talking about it. I feel like uh, I see Coach Fessy has been talking about it, bringing it up, and uh, just uh, he talks a lot about the little details and uh, enjoying the little moments and uh, soaking it all in and that these are the best years that – we're not going to get them back. And um, it really hasn't hit me yet, maybe a little bit right now that we're talking about it, and I have to. And, uh, man, it's crazy. It's been a long ride. And uh, even even this one year here, a lot of emotions. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. It's going to be crazy, honestly. I'm, I'm excited. It's been fun.
Also, just a question about looking back at last week and your performance. Kalani said post game that you were fully healthy and finally got kind of unleashed in that game. Is that is that true? Yeah, um, how I said, it's been a long ride um, this year, especially um, just battling a lot uh, mentally and uh, physically. And uh, to come out last week and uh, show everyone that I can be just as good as Puka. I'm just as good as Puka, I swear to you. Uh, but um, it just felt good to play uh, play some ball. Um, it, it felt good to show everyone that there's no drop off, um, even without Gunner. Like, Gunner's a big big time player in his offense and uh for me to be able to just step into his spot and uh, show that there is no drop off was an honor um and i was able to just uh fill the role and um do my thing and it was fun Samson, after this season concludes you still got you know plenty of football remaining but uh, what are maybe some goals that you do have after um you know your your time here at byu's done um <clears throat> I don't know. I would love to come back here and uh, non-charities, uh, give back to the community. Um, I love the um, the atmosphere here. I love being in Provo, coming back to Provo, um, interacting with the fans and uh, meeting with the young kids too and talking about their futures and uh, what sports they're into and uh, how any way I could help them and uh, hopefully come back and train and uh, lend a helping hand. Um, I don't know. There's just so much more uh, I can do and come back. I got my degree in uh, sociology. Um, I love I love talking to people. I love interacting. So um, I don't know. There's just more more to it than football, and I'm excited to explore my other options. You know, Kalani. Uh, you know, when you bring that up, he, he has the foundation more to life. Uh, you know, what's that relationship and maybe perspective Kalani and Fessy have have given you during your time here and just over the years your relationship with them? Oh, um, this past year has been amazing. Um, I've had a great. Um, examples in front of me over the years and uh, yeah, even better ones as I stepped here I'm um, just uh, being able to get closer to Fessy and uh, Coach Kalani and um, they just opened up my eyes to see that there's uh, just a lot more than football uh, there's a lot more than just me and um, service is the greatest thing ever and um, seeing a smile on everyone else's faces around me and uh, being able to just bring joy to others is a, I don't know, it just helps me become a better person and become a more better player on the field. And um, they just taught me so much and um, I'm thankful for them. Got questions, time for about three more questions. So if each will, uh, if Jared, Sean, and then Jay, if you'll each ask a question. Samson, what was it like to see the stat line? I know the win was important, but to see that you and Puka had the exact same number of yards and touchdowns, what was that like? Man, uh, it was awesome. I didn't even know it happened until after the game. Everyone I was taking pictures with kept telling me, they're like, did you guys know you guys had the exact same stats? And I was like, wow, that's crazy. I had no clue, but it was amazing. Um, I've been telling everyone it's been like a dream. It's been a movie being able to watch Puka and uh, take a step uh, back from football, really, and just being, uh, you know, a hype man. Honestly, it's been cool and uh, to see Puka do his own thing and uh, watch him cheer him on and then come into this game and um, ball out with him. Um, it's just a movie, and um, I'm loving every every bit of it. Go ahead, Tom. Samson, I'm I'm glad you uh, you brought up the the smile, how much this place makes you smile. Because I feel like every time I've seen you on, whether it's on campus, after practice, whatever, you always got that big smile on your face. Uh, and Kalani <laughs> mentioned it to us earlier here. 
So since this is your coming into your last home game, I've got to ask you the direct question. Why are you, why do you, are you always smiling so much? Shoot. I don't know. There's just a lot on everyone's plate. There's a lot on my plate. No one's perfect. I'm far from perfect. Um, but all we can do is smile. And uh, I mean, our culture is love and learn. I'm loving everything about being down here. And I'm learning so much more about myself and learning more about those around me. And um, I just want to see everyone smile at the end of the day. It's not easy, this life. Um, everyone goes through their own trials, whether it's with sports or not. I don't know what it is, but I want to be a helping hand. Uh, I just want to see you smile. So uh, I just try to bring uh, the best energy I can around uh, whenever I'm around. <laughs> hey, Samson, you've played with some great quarterbacks at Utah. Uh, Tyler Huntley, Jason Shelley. You can probably know him more than, better than me. But how does, how does uh, Jaron Hall rank among the quarterbacks you've played with? And what do you see his future as? Jaron's a... Uh, an athlete, uh, he's a man. He he ranks right up there with Tyler Huntley and Jason Shelley. Um, they're all the same, I think. Um, great decision makers, um, great throwers when they need to, and uh, can run the ball and make moves <clears throat> when necessary. And um, I expect a lot of big things from Jaron. Um, I think Jaron's just as good as any quarterback in the nation right now, or even better. Um, we have a lot of games that we play in uh, Fessy's room during um, our uh, team meetings. Uh, or player meetings, receiver meetings, and uh, we choose a lot of like random things out of the nation, like who's the best, where, like who would you pick? And um, I always stick with the Cougars because I believe in our guys, all right? So I always choose Jared and Ty Algier for everything. So uh, I, I believe those two are going to do big things, and um, I was just thankful and excited that I got to spend my last year with them and a ball by their sides. There you go, Samson Nakua, and those are Uriah Leotow just before him, two BYU seniors who will be honored today. We are going to transition over to the Cougar preview show, pregame show. Hans Olsen just sat down. So, What's we, up, man? How are you, buddy? What's up? The Saturday show's been awesome. I know, Saturday's been so been fun. It's you, good to be back. You and Eric are killing it. We've been having a good time. I will tell you, the one thing that's missing is Megan. I know. We'll get Megan mixed in with this. <laughs> Have you, have you, I mean, oh, yeah. she's yelling out numbers. She's, she's running spots now. Yeah, she's good at it. Megan's killing it, man. We're about to pump this thing up, get you some BYU preview show. All right, so we'll wrap this up here. This has been the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Thank you to Eric back in the studio. Thank you to Megan for hanging out with us. We'll be back next Saturday talking all things BYU, Utes, Cougars, and everything in between. But coming up next, it's your Cougar pregame show right here on the Zone Sports Network.